Do you guys want to be on the podcast? Yes. All right. On on the count of three, I want you to tell everybody, say hello, world. Ready? One, two, three. Hello. All right. There. See, I'm going to put that on the podcast now, so you'll be good to go. So, tonight, tonight we are going to be in what book? Galatians. Galatians. That's right. We are moving into chapter six. This is the, believe it or not, the final chapter. This is week number 12 that we have walked through this book. And if you've missed any of that, you can actually go through. I think we have one week that we didn't get recorded. But you can go back and search, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or or Google or Amazon or uh, Spotify. Search KF Students Podcast. If you've missed any of those from this book or any of the things we've done really for the last two and a half years, you can catch up and you can see what you've missed here. So we're just going to jump right into it tonight. We've covered a lot of ground in this short book. And as we go through these books, we always talk about some basic things so we understand who wrote the book, who they write it to, all of those important things when you're studying a book of Scripture. So let me ask the questions. Who wrote the book of Galatians? Paul who used to be Saul. Paul who used to be Saul. Yes, good job. All right. When do we believe it was written? 49 to 54 AD. 49 to 54 AD. He's not going to give anybody else a chance tonight, so y'all just got to yell it out, okay? All right, you ready? You ready? Do you know the answer before I ask it? Is it, who was he writing to? No. Yeah, who did he write it to? It was writing to churches in Galatia about false teachers. About what? About false teachers. He's exactly right. If you haven't caught any of that so far, what Paul had done is Paul had gone on a missionary journey. He had been in this area of Galatia. This isn't just one church, it's multiple churches. And after he left, he left them with sound doctrine. He left them with good teaching. But false teachers started creeping their way into the churches. And what they did is they were teaching salvation through faith in Jesus, but then they were adding to that requirement. They were adding some of the Old Testament laws, specifically this this physical act that identified the Jewish people with God as being his people. But the problem is when you look at scripture and you look at what Jesus did and you look at what the New Testament tells us, salvation is by what? Faith alone. Salvation is by faith alone. Only when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, knowing that he died on the cross for your sins, are you forgiven of those sins? But these false teachers, they were adding to that. And the problem is, some of the believers in those churches in Galatia, they were believing it. They were believing these false teachings, and they were starting to give over to these false teachers and practice some of these rituals that they had for them. And Paul is writing to them saying, hey, stop it. Don't listen to these false teachers. Don't do the things they're telling you you have to do, because that's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Scripture says. So that's kind of the background, the basis of what we're jumping in here tonight in chapter 6. So tonight, as we do every week, we're going to stand as we read the first part of this chapter in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'd like you to stand, and we've got the one and only Mr. Nathan Cannell. All right, we we got your microphone right there, so do I need to hold this? Are you good? Can you hold it and read at the same time? No, you can't share my table. I'm just kidding. Put it right there. You're good. (laughs) All right, you got it. Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 10. Sorry. Um, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. 
carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, they, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who is the one who receives instructions in the world should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man who reaps what he sows, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we all have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dear God, um, thank you for this glory. Um, time that we have with you and um, the fact that we can just like um, pause our um, busy agendas to come with you and um, pick up that Bible and uh, it's just very amazing that we get to do this every Wednesday, every Sunday, every day and thank you for that. Jesus name, amen. 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 Alright, thank you. Amen. say you can have a seat, but y'all already sat down. Okay, so Nathan, thank you for reading that. Now, in the last chapter, in chapter five, we're not going to go through all five chapters so far, but in chapter five, as Paul is writing this, one of the things he's specifically writing about is the idea that we've got freedom in Christ. Okay, it's this idea that, 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 that before we know Jesus Christ, and I kind of touched on it just a second ago, every one of us is trapped in our own sin. We're trapped in our own selfish desires to please ourselves and to do anything we can in life to make that happen and anything that is opposite of honoring God. And yet what Scripture tells us here is that when you walk through all of Scripture, it says we're born that way. Scripture tells us that, that we're born sinners and there's nothing we can do to fix that problem on our own. You can be good as you try to be. You can start out one morning and say, you know what? I'm not going to mess up today. I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm not going to have any bad thoughts about people. I'm not going to make my parents mad. I'm not going to throat punch my sibling. I'm not going to do any of that stuff today. But by the end of the day, guess what? You've probably done most of it, haven't you? Hopefully not the throat punching part. Okay, don't do that. I did not just give you permission to do that. Talk to your parents about that. But, but here's the thing. It's that sin nature. It's that selfishness that separates us from God. From the moment we were conceived, from the moment we took our first breath, we're separated from God. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. And yet we've got a holy, righteous, loving God who wants a relationship with us. So he had to solve that problem for us. So that's why Jesus was born into this world as a baby. Grew up, Scripture tells us that he grew up like we grew up. He went through puberty. He went through all of the problems. He had all of the emotions and all of the thoughts. And yet Scripture tells us he never sinned. Not once. Because he's God in the flesh. 
And in doing that, God took the action that needed to be taken so we could know him. Because when Jesus grew up, when he got to that age of 33 years old, he gave up his life. Scripture tells us the penalty for our sin is eternal separation and death. Jesus took that punishment for our sin when he gave his life on the cross. But then three days later, he took his life back up. We just celebrated that a couple weeks ago in Easter. And in that moment, he conquered sin. He conquered death. And he gives every single person who would put their faith and trust in him the opportunity to be known by God, the opportunity to be loved by God, the opportunity to experience salvation from our sin. And as Paul wrote through chapter 5, he's talking about this idea that if you've made that choice, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's freedom in that. You're no longer trapped by that sin nature. You're no longer trapped by those things that you used to pursue that pulled you away from God. You are free of the eternal consequences of your sin. Now, you may still have some physical consequences for the choices you made before that moment. But the eternal consequences are gone because God has already paid that price. And he talked about how you're free to have the Holy Spirit come be a part of your life. And as you learn about God, as you study his word, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life and begins to conform you into the image of Christ. No, that doesn't mean you start looking like a guy who died a long time ago. What that means is you start to take on his character. And he talked about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things that are complete opposite of our old sin nature. But you see, in that freedom, because we have that old sin nature and we have this new nature following Christ, he tells us in chapter 5 that there's a war raging there. There's a battle. Because we want to go back to the things we know. We want to go back to the things that are comfortable. We want to go back to the things that make us feel safe and secure. And let's be honest, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you start following him, that's a scary place to be. Because when you say that, you're saying, God, I give you my life. God, I give you my future. God, I give you my relationships. And I want to honor you with all of those things. And that's a terrifying place to be because you have no idea where God wants to take you. And so there's a battle that wages there inside of us. We want to honor God, but our flesh wants to go back to what we know. And as Paul is writing this, he has shown us what that battle looks like. And he talks about this idea of walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. You can go back to the things that you were before, the things that you pursued, the things that didn't honor God. Or you can choose to pursue Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit working in your life. And he gave us this grand idea of what this battle looks like. But tonight, as we step into chapter 6, he starts to give us some practical ways to actually walk in the Spirit. We know what it's supposed to look like, but how do we actually do it if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? How do we live that out? What are the practical things we can do? And that's exactly what he started talking about there in verse 1 of chapter 6. Let me read it for us again. And if you didn't bring a Bible tonight and you haven't picked one up yet... Scripture is not going to be on the screen tonight. So if you want to follow along, do it on your phone, please. And only that on your phone. If you don't trust yourself to just look at Scripture on your phone, go get one of those Bibles in the back. But Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, here's what it says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
So the very first practical step that Paul gives us here, if we're going to try to live a life walking in the Spirit, is we have to remember that on a daily basis, we have to show grace. That's step number one. We've got to be able and willing to show grace to other people. He's talking about here, he starts off with brothers. So we know that Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to other Christians. And he basically says there, hey, if anybody's caught in sin, if anybody's caught doing something wrong, if anybody has messed up, if somebody is living in a way that does not honor God and they're messing up in their life, you as a believer, someone who is maturing in Christ, someone who is walking with the Spirit, you have a responsibility to come alongside them and help them get back on track. Now, we don't talk about this a lot in the church because what tends to happen in the church is when we see somebody messing up, we tend to take a step back and say, oh, oh, I'm glad I'm not part of that. Look at them. They're doing something bad. And we don't want to be associated with it. And yet scripture tells us right here that, that that's the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do. He says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You who are spiritual... That means you're walking in the spirit. That means you're maturing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are walking with God and you see a brother or sister, someone else who says they're a disciple of Jesus, and you see them struggling in that pursuit, you see them drifting away from God, you and I have an opportunity to help them get out of the cycle of making decisions that are drawing them away. And he says right there, we need to do it. In gentleness, we need to restore them. Restore, it means to mend. The, the, the picture doesn't really apply in our culture, but one of the pictures that I read about was, was taking a fishing net and how at certain times, because of overuse in that day with fishing nets, they would start to get holes in those nets. And once those nets got holes in them, guess what? They were no good for fishing anymore because the fish just went right through the holes. So the fishermen would do, they would take those nets and they would take time and they would take hours and they would mend those holes piece by piece until that net got to the point where it could be used again. It had been restored. It was back to its original purpose. Yes, it had battle stars. It had new knots and it had new pieces in there, but it could still be used. Let me give you a more recent example. That ping pong table right there. Just a couple weeks ago, Everybody was playing with it, and we went to put it up, and guess what? Two screws were missing out of that table. So when I lifted the table up, the lights went on the ground, and it didn't work anymore. So all we had to do was go find two screws, put the two screws in it, guess what? The table works again. It's been restored to its original purpose. Now, the screws that are in there now are not like the screws that were in there before. It looks different. You can tell it's been restored. You can tell it's been repaired. But it is able to be used by everyone again. It's that same kind of picture that Paul is talking about here. When you've got another disciple, another believer, a brother or sister in Christ, and they are drifting away from God, you have the opportunity to come alongside them and speak the truth of God's word into their life. And as you do that, you begin to help restore them. And you do it with gentleness. You don't come alongside and say, hey, you're being stupid. Stop it. Now, maybe that's what it takes to get their attention. But then you take the time. But then you make the time and the emotional and the spiritual investment in their lives to gently restore them so that God can work in their life again. You have the opportunity to show grace. And he gives us a warning there. 
Because at any point in time, every single one of us in this room that professes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is one bad decision away from being off track. One bad choice. One silly mistake. One step that starts that drift and we start to pull away from God. That's why he says you need to be watchful that you don't fall away as well. You need to take care. You need to be on guard because I have seen people. I remember this. I know I'm old, but I've got a high school example here. I have friends that would go to parties on the weekend. And the friends that I went to church with who would go to those same parties and say, you know what, I'm going there because I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to be a witness. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to make sure people know what it actually looks like to follow Christ. I can't name you one of them that didn't fall into doing the same stuff. That's why he says, be on guard. Protect yourself. But as you do that, you've got to be willing to show grace. And then he goes on here in the second verse. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Come alongside somebody who's struggling and share that load with them. James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When you see somebody struggling, don't start telling everybody else about what their problem is. Start praying for them. Start talking to them. Start telling them how much Jesus loves them. Start telling them what they're doing. Hey, I love you. Let me help you with this. Let me help you in the area you're struggling In Romans 15, 1 1 and 2, we who are strong have an obligation. An obligation. You know what an obligation is? It's a duty. It's it's something you have to do. It's something you, you just have to do it. You don't have a choice. It's not like, hey, I can walk away from this. No, you're obligated. You have to step up and do something. It says this. You, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We have a responsibility to look out for each other, to care for each other as disciples of Jesus. And know this, you can't bear somebody's burden the way this talks about right here if you don't know them. It means you have to invest your life in people. It means you have to spend time with them. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you an emotional expense because you may have to step into the middle of whatever they're dealing with with them. And it's going to cost you. And a lot of times we don't have time for people. We're not willing to expend that emotional expense. What that means is we've got to get past the Sunday morning, Wednesday night. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. And everybody keeps walking on their way. I would be shocked. And you probably would be too if you asked that question on a Sunday or a Wednesday and somebody said, well, actually, life's not going really great right now. I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with this. And you would probably look at them and go, whoa, that's more than I asked for. But that's exactly what Paul's talking about. You've got to get into people's lives. You've got to get to know people so you know how you can help them, so you can help them bear their burdens. Because there's a pretty good chance at some point in time, remember, we're all one bad decision away from being exactly where they are. And you may need somebody to come alongside you and help bear your burden. 
That's what Paul says we have a responsibility and obligation to do. And then he goes on here in verses three and four. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Say, hey, don't don't think too highly of yourself because you may think, you know what? Hey, I'm doing okay because I'm not involved in the stuff that they're involved in or that they're involved in. I'm doing pretty good right now. Paul says, hey, if you start thinking that, you need to remember you're nothing. You're no better than anybody else that you're considering when you have those thoughts. And, and we're, we're pretty good at that, aren't we? We're good at kind of judging people. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. You may not say it out loud, but we all judge people all the time, don't we? When they walk by, we judge what they're wearing. We judge what they're saying. We judge who they're talking to. We judge how they're talking. We judge how they walk. We judge what they drive. We judge how they play sports. We judge what kind of music they like. We judge what kind of movies they watch. We judge all kinds of stuff. And he's saying, hey, don't play the comparison game. Because in the act of judging, you're saying, I'm a little bit better than they are. And he says, you need to remember, none of us is better than anybody else. What happens is that begins to lead to an attitude of self-righteousness. And if you don't know what that means, that's a comment like this. Well, at least I'm not as bad off as them. At least I'm not doing this. They're involved in that. At least I'm not a part of that. Scripture tells us we don't have any room to do that because what happens is when we start taking that approach, when we start feeling self-righteous and we feel like we're better than the next person, better than the next believer that's caught in sin the way Paul put it out there, what happens then is we begin to forget something very important. We begin to forget of the sin that we've been forgiven of. We begin to forget what God has done in our life. And that moment, that joy of our salvation, what we knew for the first time in our entire lives, that God wanted us, and God loves us, and God has forgiven us. And we begin to set that aside and think, I'm just a little bit better than them. Paul says, you can't forget that. You can't forget the joy of your salvation. You can't forget what God has forgiven you of. I went back a couple weeks ago to a 1990s song. I'm going to refer to another one tonight. There was a song called Remember Your Chains. And the words were Remember Your Chains. And I can't remember the rest of the words now. <laughs> remember Your Chains. I should have written it down. What's that? I sing it in my head. Remember the prison that once held you before the love of God broke through. Hey, it works. I'm not singing it out loud for y'all. But if you, the words of the song basically are saying, don't forget what God's done in your life. Don't forget what God's done. Because it's easy as a Christian to go to church and to do all the Christian things and to think, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. And to forget what God did in your life. To forget the sin that he's forgiven you of. Paul says you can't forget that. You've got to keep that at the forefront of your mind all the time and point people to God. He says don't compare yourselves to other people. And this is not the only place he says this. In 2 Corinthians 10, 17 and 18, he says let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. 
That means if you're going to boast about anything in your life, don't boast about what a great Christian you are. Boast about what God's done in your life. Boast about how He has worked. Boast about what He is showing you in Scripture because of who He is, not because you're more knowledgeable about Scripture. You've got to point people towards God. You've got to point people towards Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 5. He says, For each will have to bear his own load, that the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. He's saying there, you are responsible for yourself and your own walk with God. Period. You are responsible for your walk with God. Yes, you come along and you help other people, but at the end of the day, the only people that's, person that's really responsible for you and your walk is you. And you've got to do what you can to pursue Christ every single day. And when you mess up, pray that God will send people to walk alongside you. Now that next verse, that verse 6, it looks kind of out of place there. Because there's actually some debate about what that verse really means where it says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. There are some people that say that's dealing with money. There are other people that say that's dealing with spiritual things. And the reason that debate is there is because during this time when this was written on the money side, it was it was tradition. It was custom that when a teacher taught students, the students and their families supported that teacher financially. And that would have been important in this area because Paul, if, if we're going that route, Paul would have possibly been making the argument of, hey, you need to make sure you're supporting the people who are coming in and teaching you sound doctrine. Because remember, we've got these false teachers. Don't support them. Support the ones that are teaching you the right things about God. That's one approach to that verse. Another approach that I read in a couple different commentaries is the idea of sharing the spiritual things that God is doing in your life. That that if, if you're growing, if you're learning in the Word of God, if God is doing things in your life and you're seeing Him work and you're seeing Him work through you in the lives of other people, let the people who have taught you God's Word know what God is doing in your life. You heard Pastor Brian talk about that on Sunday, if you were here Sunday morning, about sharing what, what's God doing. And that's not just the pastor. That's not just me as the pastor over here. That's the other teachers. That's the leaders that you sit under on Sunday mornings and Sunday night in small groups. Let those people, your parents, let them know what God is doing in your life. Let them know how he's working. Let them know how he's growing you because you don't understand what an encouragement that is to people. For somebody to have spent time helping you understand how to follow God and then for you to actually follow God and then say, hey, can I tell you what God did this week? Man, you want to see faces light up. You share what God is doing in your life with the people that have taught you how to follow God and how to understand His Word, and that is going to be an incredible encouragement for them. Then he goes on here. And in the next verse, he changes. We've talked about showing grace. Now he gives us this principle of being on guard. Think about it this way. Has anybody ever been at home late at night? Do y'all know where I'm going with this? And all the lights are off. And you hear a noise. And you get up. Maybe you're in your room. Maybe you're in your living room. And there's nobody else there. Who in here grabs a baseball bat right off? Okay, there's a couple of you, okay? Who just grabs whatever you can get your hand on? Okay. 
and and you start. Hey, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, wait, wait, wait. Let's experience this for a second. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. If you're looking at me, your eyes aren't closed. And picture yourself in that spot in your house. And there's no talking because you're the only one home. It's dark. It's quiet. And you hear a noise somewhere else in the house. And there's no one else there to make a noise. So you step out of that room. Baseball bat in hand, knife in hand, paper ball. I don't know what you grabbed. And you start slowly. You can open your eyes now. Tiptoeing through the house. As quiet as you can be, because you know three rooms over there's an axe murder, which is what you're thinking, right? And you're on alert, aren't you? Because you heard that one noise, and you're like, Did I hear another one? And your heart's beating a little bit faster. And your palms are sweaty, and since you're not used to swinging a bat, you're going to lose that bat, it's going to bust a window, and you're going to get in trouble. I mean, I'm watching this play out. Hey, in that moment, if you've ever experienced that, you know what it feels like to be on guard. You know what it feels like to be ready for something unexpected to happen. Something that you're not prepared for. That is exactly what Paul talks about here next. He says, if you're going to walk in the spirit, you have to be on guard always. He already referenced it in the first verse. In verse one, he said that right there. He says, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. He already showed us that we've got to be on Guard. We've got to be ready for anything at any point in time. And then he picks it back up in verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Basically, what Paul is saying there is you can only play the Jesus game so long and get away with it. At some point in time, you're going to realize you're just deceiving yourself. You may play the church game really well. You may show up. You may sing the songs. You may shake all the old people's hands and they look at you and go, oh, you're so cute. And you may have everybody thinking you are the perfect church kid. And then when you step out of church, you live in every other way that doesn't honor God. Paul's saying, you're only going to play that game for so long. Don't deceive yourselves. Because there's a pretty good chance you're not fooling anybody else except for those old people that think you're really cute. Because other people see it. Other people know it, so the only person you are deceiving is yourself. Because he says right there, God is not mocked. God is not fooled. And neither are most of the people around us. He says, you've got to be on guard that you're not trying to fool yourself. And you've got to be on guard so that you're not making the mistakes, so that you're not doing the things that draw you away from a pursuit of God. You need to do the things that draw you towards a pursuit of God. 
And he talks about that whole idea of sowing to the flesh. He's going back to Galatians chapter 5 where he gave that big long list of all of those things that our lives look like before we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. All of those things that our sin nature wants. All of those things that our flesh desires. All of those things that don't honor God. And he's saying everything that you do in your life right now, it's an investment in one of those two areas. You're investing in the flesh and and you're going to reap what you sow there. And it actually says right there that you're going to reap corruption. The the, the visual image there is, is food. Think of an apple. Have you ever discovered a rotten apple in your refrigerator? It's nasty, isn't it? But an apple starts out nice. It starts out firm. It starts off juicy. It starts off ready to be eaten. But as you let it sit there, it begins to decay. And you may not see it at first because the decay will start from the inside. But then slowly, it starts working its way to the outside. And and the flesh starts to sink in. And it starts to get moldy and squishy and stinky and nasty. That's, that's, the, that's the, the original word he used in Scripture. That's the image that he's giving here. That corruption. When you are continuously feeding and chasing the things in your life that don't honor God, you're going to reap corruption. You're going to reap decay. You're going to reap all of those things that are going to rot you from the inside. You say, don't do that. Go after the things that are going to bring you life. Go after the things that he talked about in Galatians 5. Those fruit of the Spirit. It says in uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to be on guard. Because guys, you know this. I'm not telling you anything new. You live in a world and you live in a time that will encourage you to do everything possible but honor God with your life. You have to be on guard. You have to be tense. You have to be ready. You have to be looking for those things that are trying to knock you off your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Because they're out there and they are ready to take you down. That's why scripture says, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's out there. He's not just a storybook character that we made up to scare little kids. Satan's real. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he does have a plan to come after you. It goes on in verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You have to be on guard if you're going to walk in the spirit, if you're going to honor God with your life. You've got to be careful not to fall into those things that Satan has set out there to trap you with. And the last thing he tells us here in this passage is told us to um, show grace To be on guard. And the last one is this. And this is one you've heard many times. And it's one you'll hear over and over again. You got to love people. 
Now, we already talked about it with showing grace in order to come alongside people, in order to help them bear their burdens. You've got to be in their lives. And in order to be in their lives, you've actually got to have a love for people. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? If you don't know the answer, the answer is yes. It's very hard to love people sometimes. And yet that's exactly what he says here in verse 9. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. He says, don't grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of investing in people's lives. Don't grow weary of coming alongside them and helping them bear their burdens. Did you know that you can actually grow weary doing things for God? It's possible. It is possible for you to do everything you can in your own power to do all of the right, good God things. To serve people, to love people, to do all of those things. And it is possible to do that for a long time. But at some point, if you don't have a love for God and a love for people in that process, and you're not connecting to God in that process, you can continue to do the good things and never make a connection with God. And then you grow weary. Because you're not doing it out of the love that God has given you for people anymore. You're doing it for different reasons. Maybe because it gives you a better reputation with people. Maybe because it's the right thing to do. Maybe because it makes you feel good. There's a little bit of pride there. And when we start doing it for those reasons, we grow tired. And we grow weary. And that's why Paul tells us right here, we've got to have a love for people. He reminds us that we've got to love the people that God puts in our lives, even when those people turn from God. And let me camp out there for just a second. If you invest your life in pursuing God and you've got friends who say they're doing the same thing, at some point you're going to see some of them walk away. And it's going to hurt. I'm telling you that now because I want you to know it's coming. But you have the opportunity, even when they walk away, to continue to love them. To continue to pray for them. To continue to do everything within your power as God equips you to show them the love of God. And to show them grace and love that he has for them. Because that's what God's called us to do. To invest in people's lives even when they reject your help and the grace that you want to show them and they want with everything in them to pursue their own sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So even when you have those people in your life that you try to come alongside and they reject everything you're trying to share with them, they reject everything you're trying to show them about God, Scripture tells us right there, you are not wasting your time because you are loving people through the power of God loving you. And that's what we are called to do. And we have to trust that God's going to do the work in their lives because guess what? You will never change them in your own power. And you may never get to see them change. But you have to trust that God has a plan. And you have to trust that God is going to work. And then Paul rounds it out with one last verse. Chapter 6, verse 10. So then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
do good to everybody. Now he says, you need to make sure you pay attention to the other believers. You need to make sure that other disciples, other people that say they're pursuing Jesus Christ, you need to make sure you come alongside them. You need to make sure you show grace to them. You need to make sure you show them God's love in their life. But he also says, hey, don't neglect everybody else either. It says, uh, we then have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. What tends to happen sometimes is church people will go to the extremes. They will either completely and only focus on church people. They're the only ones we're supposed to spend our time with, right? Or we'll completely and focus on people who aren't a part of the church. That's called social justice. We're going to go out and do all the things to meet their needs, but we're not really going to try to help them understand who Christ is. And what he's saying is don't get caught up in playing either one of those games. You're supposed to love everybody, but your greatest investment your greatest time, your greatest bearing one another's burdens, it's of the other people in the household of faith. It's the other believers that God has put in your life to walk alongside with. That's why it says in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Everything that you do, All of those things that Paul has talked about right here, showing grace, being on guard, loving others, it's so that other people can glorify God. It's so that other people can see God work. And you, as a disciple of Jesus tonight, if you have put your faith and trust in him, if you know you have been forgiven of your sin, that is what you and I are called to do. To show grace, to be on guard, and to love others. And the question you have to ask yourself tonight is, am I doing those things? Maybe I'm doing one or two really well, and maybe I'm failing at the others. That's okay. Keep pursuing Christ and let the Holy Spirit work in your life, and God will bring you further along in that. If you're here tonight, maybe you haven't been on guard. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now where you're struggling. And pursuing God is a hard decision every single day. You don't have to face that by yourself. Remember, we're supposed to come alongside of each other. We're supposed to bear one another burdens. It may be that there's somebody right here in this room tonight that would love to pray with you and love to pray for you in whatever that situation is. If you're here tonight and you're struggling in that walk, you're struggling with any of those things, I just want to encourage you when we stand up, when we start to sing, maybe take a minute and just get on your knees before God and talk to Him about it. And one of the things that I have seen our middle school boys do better than any group I've seen do it in a long time is they never let another one of their classmates pray by themselves. If somebody comes up here to pray tonight and you see them praying, you don't have to know what they're praying about. You don't have to know what they're talking to God about, but you can come pray over them. And you can come pray for them. Because sometimes walking alongside somebody, it's just a matter of, I'm going to pray for you, even when you don't know all the details. God has called us to do this journey together. And if we're going to walk in the Spirit individually, He's going to help us walk in the Spirit together. And that means we come alongside of each other. That means we bear each other's burdens. That means we look out for each other. And that means we love each other. 
That's the charge that Paul has put to the Galatians, and that's the charge that we put to us tonight. Are you willing to take that charge? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come together and that we can see who you've called us to be. God, I pray for every one of us in this room tonight. Lord, help us to to do these things that Paul has laid out in chapter 6. Help us to walk in the Spirit. God, help us to pursue you. God, we just thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.